Lord, we do just stand in awe of how faithful, how good you are. It's just incomprehensible for us to express what we can't get our minds around, Lord. We just experience you. And we're just so thankful that you love us so much. Just ask that through the power of your spirit and your word that you would just renew our minds once again and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Philippians chapter 4 as we look to complete our study tonight. It's a wonderful epistle penned by Paul while in prison to these wonderful saints who supported him through thick and thin. Tonight it's, what are you thinking and doing? What are you thinking and what are you you doing? Not that I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for him, but he did say some interesting things throughout his life, and he was a fairly strong leader, Winston Churchill, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The way you think and how you think is critical to your well-being. As a man thinks in his heart, the scripture tells us, so is he. So it's important that you have your mind transformed. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we are taught to think scripturally, by the Spirit, where we begin to think in terms of what's truth and what's error. And it's enough, there's not enough emphasis put upon this or the importance of it. We just kind of go on in our lives sort of casually thinking uh, whatever influences us by our sight or what we happen to be hearing at the time. But as I've said this before, and it's such a true thing, and... Um, Nobody talks to you more than you do. And what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself the truth? That's the important thing. We can't help some of the thoughts that come into our minds. And that is actually an interesting concept or an interesting subject all in, its, in and of itself. <laughs> do you ever think about where your thoughts come from? How, what in the world am I thinking about this right now? You know, you, you just like, where did that come from? And the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, God knows the origin of our thoughts. He knows how the synapses snap and click. And next thing you know, we're like, wow, I'm thinking that. <laughs> it's a, it's a, an amazing thing. I had a doctor's appointment today, and I really love my doctor. He's just a, he's a man of God. And he, he's prayed for me. It took, I think he prayed for me for at least five minutes at the end of our thing. And... um I was really blessed by that. But he was talking, we, we were, somehow we were talking about the brain, uh, and he was talking about, uh, he didn't say in these words, but essentially the technology that God has created with our brains. And it's like the left side of your brain calls, controls the right side of your body, and apparently the left side of your brain calls, controls the right side of your body. Now, why did he do that? Well, there's a division down the middle of your brain, and so that means things have to cross, 
And he thought that was significant. He sort of spiritualized that God, when he looks at a human being, he sees this cross, this crossover. He sees you through the cross. And I, you know, that's pretty cool. It's amazing how God designed us. But we're responsible for our thought life. You are responsible, and I am responsible for what we allow in and how we go about thinking. And part of regeneration as, as a believer comes through this renewing of the mind. Paul talks about that in Romans 12. But here we're picking up in verse 8 where we left off and Paul's finally getting to the end of his letter which is really actually a thank you. This is a little thank you letter to the church of Philippians, the first church that he planted there uh, in Macedonia. They sent funds to him while he was in Thessalonica. They're one of the few churches that no matter what happened, they were going to take care of Paul as best they could. Whenever they found out that he had a need, they somehow sent somebody to hear Paul, help him along the way. And he, you know, of course he went through a lot there. Got beat up and people were saved because he got beat up. There was an earthquake. I mean, God moved in a powerful way through this thing. So he just had this etched in his mind, this love, and there was just this instant bond. You know when you go through something with someone, Guys that I've worked with over the years in a long period of time, I have, a, I, have mem- I have memories with them because of that. You know, when you suffer together, guys in the battlefield, the brotherhood, you know, that happens. Athletes and teams, sports, when you work together to accomplish something, you suffer together, you strive together, that burns, makes a bond and it, it, it burns memories in your soul that you just never forget. And so this is kind of one of those relationships that Paul had with this church he'd gone through so much and been so God had been so fruitful and prosperous in that they, they just had such a special love for these people and it comes through in this epistle probably as much as any of the epistles that he wrote the affection that he has for these people and so he's coming to the end here and it's like you know the theme of joy rejoice in the Lord. I mean, he, this is the whole thing. He wants these people to be happy in the Lord. And we all should be. That Christians ought to be the happiest people on the planet. I mean, after all, this is our hell, right? And then we got heaven coming. This is the worst it's going to be for any of us right here and now. This little span of time, you know, anywhere from 80 plus years, maybe if... I don't know that I want to live long, but whatever it is, whatever space, this is the worst it gets, and we've got heaven waiting for us. And he, Paul realizes that, that if they're going to have joy, it's going to be because of the self-control they have over their thought life. And this is so very vital for you and for me. And so let's look at the list that Paul has about thinking properly. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So I'm going to just, that verse right there. You know, the first part of that's, you know, pretty good. Whatever is just pure lovely is part of that, but there's other things that are important there. But I just think that's really a, a great collection of, of thoughts in regards to your thought life. So what's, let's break it down a little bit here. Truth. 
you know, good conversation, good doctrine. What is truth for you? As a believer, do you believe the Bible is true? Every word in it is true. I mean, there are people who have spoke lies in the Bible, but it's still true about what was reported and what was recorded. If you, do, if you do not take the Bible as the authoritative word of God, inerrant and accurate, and you, beca- you become the judge of what to, you want to believe within the Bible and within the pages that it was written there, then, and you become the judge of it, then you, it will undermine your faith. Just because when I read something I don't understand, it doesn't make it wrong. Or if there seems to be some contradictory passages that don't seem to jive, the issue is not with the Bible. The issue is with my ignorance. And that is, should be the proper mindset that we have when it comes to studying the Bible. Just because I don't, don't grasp it and maybe don't understand it doesn't make it wrong or untrue. It's a need on my part to learn more. We have to have a basis of absolutes. We have to have a basis of truth. If, if we have, like we have in our culture, this humanistic thought that truth is relative... Whatever you think is true is fine for you. Whatever I think is true is fine for me and just live the way you want to live. Well, this is why we're in such a mess in our culture. There's no absolutes. There's no basis of, of right and wrong. It's all arbitrary. And that's, that, that is the first thing. I, as a believer, must be thinking on what is true. And so what happens by the work of the Holy Spirit, more spirit taught as we learn Christ, we, we take what we hear and what we see and we filter it through the Word of God. If you're using New York Times or the press or some other influence out here as your filter system, you've got a clogged filter. Now, when I go in to have my car or truck, in my case, serviced, I always make sure that they change the oil filter. It's really, a, I could never understand that, why people would want to get their oil changed. I don't change a filter this time. Well, <laughs> that's kind of dumb. I mean, you can't spend an extra 10 bucks or whatever it costs to get your filter changed. I mean, after all, you're going to be putting this clean oil in there, and, you're, and immediately, as soon as you turn it over, it's going to be contaminated instantly by the clogged, junky stuff in the, the filter that's been working for miles to take care of it previously. What kind of filter are you using? You want to use a clogged filter of the world? And on its basis of absolute and some psychologist that thinks he's got it all wired and figured out on how the mind works and thinks. I mean, it's up to you. It's been working for me for a number of years. I'm really glad to, that the Word of God is my filter. I've experienced a lot of joy. It's because of God's truth. If you think about this for a moment, if you don't think correctly accurately you can't do what's right there's a lot of wrong choices being made because people are making it with wrong information and it's sad they've been brainwashed trying to be kind here let's not pick and choose what we believe let's stick to the word let's use that as our filter secondly he says what is noble Honorable, it could be uh, what some deed that's done or some person. The idea there is, it's whatever it is that you're looking at is worthy of respect, and so automatically we're 
it eliminates a number of things. I don't. Hey, hey, I should not be giving that my attention. And this is a real discipline in our lives. You know, this is going to nail all of us here tonight. I mean, I am. You know, standing here in the cross, I have the cross between you and me. <laughs> I mean, this is this is where the rubber meets the road. As a believer, right here is when the, either the battle will be won or lost. I will either walk in victory as a, as a Christian or I'm going to live in defeat. And it comes down to how I am thinking. That is the battleground. This is where the war takes place. Third thing is what is just, what is moral, and what conforms to God's standards. If it's Reading or listening to something that's injurious to other people's, it's to be avoided. And that really eliminates a lot of what we would read in the news. Because I don't know about you, but they don't really report on good news. If you, when's the last time, you, you know, the percentage, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but it, it's really lopsided. Most of the news that you read about is, is bad news. So that really should eliminate most of what we're tempted to look at and read. You know, we've got to understand that, you know, we've got, what, six major news outlets, for example, controlled by two or three people in the world. And so you get their, they get their 4, 4 a.m. narratives. You know, you, it doesn't matter which one of the alphabet news uh, broadcasts you listen to. They're all blabbing the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's, I find that just really disturbing, actually. But when you have people... you give you an analyzation of something that they're looking at. And if you have three people looking at the same thing and, and they describe to you what they're seeing, I can guarantee you that what each of those people will say will not be identical. But why is it that you know these, all these mass media things are always mouthing the same thing? Because they have an agenda. They have a desire. They want to control you. They want to control the way you feel. If they can control the way you feel, then they can control the way you think. And you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not. This is intentional. They want to control the masses. And so the, the only way you can control the masses is to control the way they think. This is just an article I pulled up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Most of you know and probably have even stronger convictions than maybe I do about this. It's disturbing because this, I think, holds us back from becoming all that God wants us to be when we're not reading and, and we're allowing stuff to come into our... Our filter gets clogged up so quickly with this stuff. But here's what I... Uh, about controlling our thoughts and creating false narratives. Another technique used is subliminal messaging, a cornerstone of mind control. When a person is unknowingly bombarded with clever concealed information, an emotion can be triggered, leaving the person's intellect and better judgment subjugated in favor of a mental process like fear or sexual desire. You may never consciously understand or realize why you begin to adopt certain behaviors, products of lifestyle, but the attraction is nonetheless real, and it manifests itself through actual personal choices." In the 2011 documentary called Programming the Nation, filmmaker, graphic artist, and digital media, media producer Jeff Warwick, a former advertising sales rep, provided examples on how subliminal messaging and other subconscious methods are employed by ad executives and other media to control cultural norms like social programs like 
consumerism, materialism of women's bodies, health choices, and glorification of violence. Quote, could such techniques really be contributed to a variety of social, political, and economic problems currently present in our culture, such as obesity, anorexia, and other eating disorders, or the ongoing war of terror? And what about the ever-increasing amounts of debt that has tightened its grip on a growing percentage of the population, says the documentary? Other techniques include fake news, yes, by the mainstream media, omission, not covering an issue as though it wasn't real or important, slanting the coverage through the use of biased, quote, expert sources and publishing falsified data and science as though it were legitimate. Because after all, they're the authoritative news. They are the gatekeepers of knowledge of what they want the public to know. And this is very important. Because we are not to get our marching orders from that data, from that perspective. You and I march to a different set of orders, one given by our Lord and King. So it's important that we think on what is just, what is right, what is morally acceptable, what does is, what is God's standard say? And then moving on, on what is pure. And so this sort of goes along with this whole thing is sort of tied into that. I mean, that was an easy one to pound on, wasn't it? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Did I beat it up enough? <laughs> yeah. On what is pure. This is real, literally unmixed. It's uh, a substance which, you know, if you mix it with something else, then it's no longer that. And so this is the idea of pure, that it's unmixed. It's wholesome. It's, it's innocent. Hegnos literally was used uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that to awaken religious awe. When we think of pure, there's only one that's pure, and that's God. Everything else is not. God is pure. And then we're to think on what is lovely. And I, when I think of lovely, there's a lot, you know, a lot of things come to mind. But it's peaceful, isn't it? Wonderful things. I think one of the things that we can think on that which is lovely is just look at creation. Just take a moment and and go out and pick a flower out of your flower garden and just stare at it for a little bit. It's amazing. And you can do that with anything that God has created and just look at it and just marvel how incredibly designed and thoughtful the thought that went into what God has made. And don't forget, when you look in the mirror, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, not to mention about how our brains work, how it crosses over. So what is lovely? And in that, we learn to express really the gratitude of God. When something is lovely, it is so easy just to give gratitude and thanks to God. That's a good way of seeing whether or not something is lovely. And then... On, uh, what is of good report? Oh, that's an easy one. It's bad. You, you, you have a mind, you now have a renewed mind. Paul says to the Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. It's easy to tell what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And so we turn away from the bad. You, as Martin Luther said, you know, you're, you're going to think thoughts. Thoughts are going to come into your head. You know, he put it in these terms. You know, birds are going to land in your hair, but you don't build a, let them build a nest. And this is what we're talking about here. 
You can't help if thoughts originate. You can't unsee certain things. You can't unhear certain things. And so what are you going to do with it? Well, by the power of the Spirit and through the, through the pure acid of God's Word, it burns all that bad stuff away, and it purifies your thought life. Guys who struggle with pornography, guys who struggle with lust, and we all go through these things as men that, you know, we sort of cycle through the refining process. You know, we might be doing great for, you know, a long time, and then all of a sudden, like, wow, why am I struggling with this? I mean, there's always these areas, greed, whatever the flesh desires. We go through this cycle of purification. Well, I can tell you if you're watching sensual movies and you're giving Hollywood their due, which you shouldn't be, and you should avoid that. Oh, gosh, why am I struggling with lust? Well, you've been, you know, these, what do you think's on those screens that you're going into your brain? It's, it's setting off chemicals. It's, it's shaping some thought process that's causing you to think in those terms. So just avoid it. Avoid it. And so this is what we're talking about here. Staying away from certain things. We live a boring life, don't you? No, I don't. Not at all. I live a life of joy because I am thinking in terms of God and His kingdom and what's good. Paul sums up this whole list with these last two words. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. Anyone you know, you guys all know what meditate means. Anybody, you're, you guys, any, how many people raised on a farm? Not too many anymore. But, you know, don't you love cows? <laughs> Big dumb animals with long tongues. <laughs> I think all they do is eat all day long. But when they eat something, they got three stomachs, and they eat, and they, it goes into the first stomach. And, and then apparently they're just not satisfied with the, it going down the first time, so they bring it back up. And they chew the cud. That's what the cud is. Just regurgitating and mulling it over one more time because it's so good to them, right? Actually, it's, it's the way that their body can assimilate and process the nutrients better. And so let's leave that vulgar, <laughs> rough, rough illustration and let's bring that into this mind category. This is what we're to do with God's truth. It comes in. I begin to think on it. And I begin to mull it over. And then I maybe stop for a moment. And then, you know what? Wait, I just really, that really needs to sink in, I tell myself. I really want to get that. And that's what we're talking about. Meditating, mulling it over, just bringing it back up again regularly to just let it become part of my being. And this is what happens. This is, this is the worship of God. This is the transformation work that takes place when we give ourselves to the Word of God. And virtue. These are things of excellence. Everything that's in the Word of God is excellent. I don't have to worry about be con- being contaminated by my filter. My filter is pure. It's this absolutely a gift from God. Where would we be without the Word of God? Praiseworthy. Things that cause us to offer praise and worship to God freely. So whatever's excellent, whatever's causes me to just, oh, praise the Lord. Lord, I just love you. You can think on that all you want, all day long. So those are the two words that sum it, sum it up. You know, 
our fallen nature, we're attracted to, it's kind of like junk food. You bring it in my house, and I, as much as I know I should not eat that, I'm going to eat it. I might be good for a day. I might even be good for a week. It stays in there long enough, it's going, I'm going to eat it. It's just going to happen. I'm going to have a weak moment, and I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> I'll just work it off, you know. <laughs> oh, I just want to have done that, you know. <laughs> you know. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to just fill us and influence us. Part of avoiding temptation is creating an environment that doesn't tempt me to go there. So as I'm saying, if I don't bring that in the home, that's huge. I spend a lot of time there. If I don't have it around me, then I'm, it's, it's not going to tempt me. So part of that self-control is just building in those things. You know, and I, I think if you're having trouble with certain areas in your mind thoughts, then just fast it. Avoid it. Cut it out. Amazing what will happen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. We need to read this one. We just do. This, this, this is part of the repertoire that we have been given by Paul. Paul learned this stuff, and he's passing it on. He's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And he is just, and this is what Paul does in these letters. He passes on the truths that he himself is walking in. That which I received from the Lord, I've given to you. I can't give something to you that I haven't really experienced. And that's really what happens a lot as, as a pastor. As you walk with the Lord and you're studying, you're learning, and you're, you know, you're applying it too. Of course, a lot of times you'd just rather teach the Word rather than experience that. But that doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. You need to try this out. Now you've tried it out. Now you know. Now you can teach it, right? Right, John? <laughs> All you teachers? <laughs> First Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be Unaware of our fathers. No. That is not the right one. I think we're... I need 2 Corinthians. Excuse me. It's awful difficult to get... <laughs> there we go. 2 Corinthians. Pardon me. Now I, Paul, myself... Notice the emphasis here. Three personal pronouns. That is significant. I, Paul, myself... That means this... What I, he's about to say is extremely extremely important and pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ and this is what I'm doing tonight I am pleading because I know by my own life experience that what I'm teaching tonight is probably one of the most vital lessons you can ever learn as a believer it's basic it's needed I, my, I Paul myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in the presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am pressing, I may not be bold with the confidence which I intend to be bold against some who think of us to be walking according to the flesh. But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 
and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So I would encourage you to reread that and meditate on that. You know, bring it up again in your mind. Give yourself to it. And so this is Paul's manner. This is Paul's way. And he's passing on these truths to the Philippians because he wants them to live a joyful life. He wants them to have a rich, full life in Christ. And then the basic truth that Paul had in the way he went about his ministry, he taught good doctrine because he knew that good doctrine would lead to good living. The Greek is orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis. And you can't have good living without good teaching. You know why the church is struggling today? Because men in the pulpit refuse to to bring these kind of things to the body. This isn't popular. What do you mean I can't go home and fill my mind with bad stuff and be okay with God? You're trying to deprive me of fun, really. Is it fun when you're being controlled by your addictions? It's really sad. It's pitiful. What uh, We become slaves of unrighteousness when we do that kind of thing. God help us. We need good doctrine so that we have good conduct. So if you don't think right... How in the world could you do right? How can you make good decisions that lead to, to good things? And this is what he, how he finishes the letter, verses 10 through 21. Uh, let's pick it back up in verse 9. And these things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So this is, again, as I was saying, Paul knew this. He practiced this. He knew that if they would do this, this would be the result. And that's what he wanted to see in their lives because he loved them, cares about them. It's like what we teach our our children. We know that if they do this, this, and this, good things are going to happen in their lives. If they do this, this, and this, (laughs) that's going to go sideways. That's not going to be good. That's our job. Paul's the spiritual parent here, so to speak. But I rejoice in verse 10 in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. And though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well in that you shared in my distress. And now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, which I uh, departed from, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
the brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those who are in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So he ends the epistle here with some practical application of doing well, doing right. It's his thank you note to the, again, to the, those who supported him. Boy, it's amazing to be, this is a wonderful thing about being in the ministries. You develop relationships with other brothers and sisters who are in other ministries. And when you share ministry together and you support one another, it is an incredible bond that takes place. You develop a real care and, and you learn to care about people. This is really what he's uh, expressing here. Your care for me has flourished again. Do we really, does a, do we as American Christians really care? Sometimes I wonder. I, I ask myself that. Do I really care? Do I need to care? Yes, I do need to care. God help me to care. I'm not anybody's savior for goodness sake, but I need to have compassion and care about the state of people. What's going on? You know, think about our little fellowship here. There's not a lot of us to care for in one sense. But we have some older saints that are really in trouble health-wise. It is a burden to me. It is, it hurts my heart to see what the ravages of disease will do to the human body over time. It's just heartbreaking. But I am not the healer, and God is in charge of all those things but I can still have empathy and care and have compassion on people. And this is, what, this is what ministry is all about. And if you don't have that kind of heart, you don't really care, then you probably shouldn't be in the ministry. But, but you should have that. as a, All believers should possess this, whether they are directly in the ministry, because we are really all are in the ministry, right? We're the body of Christ. We are members of one another. We should have this compassion about us. And then, you know, how, how else is it expressed? In sharing very important. And as Paul said there, he's learned how to live with little or much. And really, I think that's where our little motto came from. I do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. This is how we do it. You know what? I really have a great need right now, Lord. What am I going to do? Well, are you doing and am I doing what I can with what I've already been interested with. And then I start doing inventory. Well, I could do this. I have this. I could do that. Okay. And I just begin to move in that direction. And it's, it's amazing. As I move in that, I've seen this in my life. Well, I know it's going to take this much, but I only have this much. And then, and then there's that huge gap, and then I start to panic. Like, but I'm going to need this. Well, where are you at right now? You don't think... Like I need to inform God and make Him <laughs> aware that, you know, after all, it's going to be due right here. You know, we all go through this. If you haven't gone through this, you will. And if you've gone through it before, guess what? And I know, as soon as I'm standing here, I'm going to go through it again. It's part of the process of just walking by faith, trusting God. He came through before. He'll come through again. Am I doing what I can with what I have right now? Yes, I am, Lord, but where are the Philippians believers when you need them, you know? <laughs> this is good. We have to remember the great promise. 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. And the word con content is very important here. We always talk about uh, being self-sufficient. That's actually what it, it means. I'm self-sufficient right now. I can just, I'm content. I can deal with this because I have been divinely bestowed with what I need at the moment. It is sufficient. And I am satisfied and I'm okay with it because God's okay with it. And he wants me to be okay with it in the moment. You know, the Stoics used to relate this for to mean self-reliance and fortitude, this being content. And just have a calm acceptance of this is just the way it is. You know, no, no emotion. Just, you know, God wants us to feel the need. He wants us to feel it. There's nothing wrong with the feelings. And, you know, like, ooh. You know, in fact, that's kind of how we pray, isn't it? We become aware of the need. You know, it's kind of like the pain system in your body. You know, you feel pain. like You address the need. And so that emotion of and the angst that comes with shortfall of what I'm knowing to need that creates a, an emotion that should bring us forth to pray. You know, and so that nothing wrong with sensing the fear or the anxiety. That's a natural, ooh, it's got my attention. <laughs> I need to deal with this in some manner. And so it's all part of it. You're not less spiritual because you feel like, oh gosh, I, if I was really a man of faith, I would never, ever doubt or never have this anxious feeling about my need. Well, you know, that's not really being real. You're just not letting it control you. And this is the point. I can do all things. This is what he's talking about. I'm not acting out of flesh. I can do all things through Christ. I have the grace given to me. I like the... There's two sides of that coin, that truth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the other side of that truth, it's never not to be forgotten or ignored, is that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. John 15. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Verse 17. This is important. These people, Paul wanted, he, here's Paul's approach. He let the need be known and let the results come be on how God moved on people's hearts. You never see Paul begging or pleading for money. Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. It, we're, these, they've had a famine up there. The church is in rough, they're in, the believers are in rough shape. It's the, 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 the famine has stripped them of their wealth. And you know, there's, there's this divide in the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. It would be a great idea if we as, gen as Gentile churches, if you would just give what has God has given to you and blessed you, and if we could gather from these Gentile churches and have an expression of love and compassion in their time of need, they would know that we have the same love and we serve the same God and it would help bond the body of Christ together because that was a big issue in the church. It was the divide between the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul was right. And Paul didn't have anything to do with the collection. He left it all up to the other leaders of these local churches to gather it, and then the, the ministry team would take that offering, as you read the book of Acts, and they brought it to the church in Jerusalem. And it was a tremendous testimony of God's love within the body of Christ. And this is what we can do 
We need to, be, again, be reminded that we are to store our treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 1, and we'll close with these thoughts. Take heed that no one, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have the glory of men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. And again, Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. Where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 19 tells us that God will take care of us. He'll supply all our needs. How rich is God? I know I make that little statement on a regular basis. Learn... We have to learn this grace of giving. And I think this is something we could pray for our church. We, you know, all believers, where there's a lot of, there's, there's young believers in our fellowship. There's older, mature believers, but we all need to learn this grace of giving. You cannot outgive God. I, I, I'm a farm kid, so I use this reference a lot, but it's true. When it goes, comes to giving, God has a bigger shovel than I do. I'm glad he does. <laughs> As I give it away, he gives me more. And, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to give and to help others. And the joy that comes, as Jesus said, more blessed to give than receive. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Without your truth, we could never be free from ourselves, nor could we be free from this world. And Lord, we long to walk in the freedom you've provided for us in the cross. Thank you, Jesus for your compassion and the power that you put in our lives because you won that victory for us. And now fill us all, each and every one here in this room. And those that have listened otherwise, Lord, may you bless them and fill them and strengthen each of us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.